Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. Verse 5, And he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands upon a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. And he was going around the villages teaching. Here's what I want to point out to you. He was in his hometown, and they took offense at him because they saw him not as Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Lord, the Savior, the Healer, God, the Son of God. They didn't see him that way. They saw him as the carpenter's son. So they took offense. Basically, who did he think he was? Because they took offense at him, look at verse 5. We've got to look at this and weigh this when we look at the last verse I was just showing you in Matthew 9:35, where he went about healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. But now what do we see here? In verse 5 it says, he could do no miracle there. It doesn't say he wasn't willing to. It says he couldn't. Now that's Jesus. It says Jesus couldn't do a miracle there, except that he laid his hands upon a few sick people and healed them. A few sick, it would be like a minor ailment, a cough, a, a cold, something like that, some minor ailments. But in terms of the miracles, he could not do them there. Why could he not do them there? Their lack of faith. And we see that if we continue on and we look at this, verse 6, and he wondered at their unbelief. He wondered at their unbelief. Now, so what we see, again, we see a connection with the individual's faith affecting the healing that they receive or the lack of faith affecting them receiving healing. It doesn't say he was unwilling. It says he couldn't do it. Apparently, they knew of him and took offense at him because they saw him as the carpenter's son. Who does he think he is? Isn't that the carpenter's son? Isn't that just the son of that family, you know, that we knew that lived down the street from us? This type of thing. What is it? Who does he think he is? So they didn't have faith in him, but they took offense at him. And so he marveled at their unbelief. Their unbelief hindered them from being able to receive healing because it says he could not do it. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Okay, so faith is necessary, and we see that their faith, in this case their lack of faith, affected what God could do for them there. And so we're going to go ahead, and what I want to want to point out too is this. In verse 6, he wonders at their unbelief. Then what does he do in response to the unbelief? He goes about the villages teaching. Why do we teach? We teach because teaching drives out unbelief. Why does teaching drive out unbelief? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the solution to the unbelief is teach the word. Solution to unbelief, teach the word of God. And then keep teaching the word of God because teaching produces faith. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, I'm going to show you just something else that's interesting and then we're going to move on to a different aspect of healing. I find this interesting. I'm not positive you will. All right, let me show you one. Go to Matthew chapter 9 around verse 24. He began to say, Depart, for the girl has not died but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. 
But when the crowd had been put out, he entered and took by the hand, and the girl arose. And this news went out into all that land. He put the crowd out. Unbelief. Mark chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 35. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. Again, what do we see? He's telling them to believe. Verse 37, And he allowed no one to follow with him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the synagogue official, and he beheld a commotion, and the people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. Verse 40, And they began laughing at him. Okay, is that faith? So what does he do? But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. And taking the child by the hand, he said to her, and we see it. And this means little girl arise. And the little girl arose immediately. And they were completely astounded. And he gave them, well, he gave them strict orders. But what I want you to see from that is what, he was creating an atmosphere of faith. And if there wasn't an atmosphere of faith, he created it. He made it so that there was an atmosphere of faith. He was removing the unbelief. And so that's important when you're praying for somebody. If you go into a hospital room and you've, you've got somebody standing there and just they're sobbing and they're crying and they're upset, you're probably better off to wait till that person isn't there before you try to minister to the person that's in the hospital bed. That doesn't mean, I'm not saying kick them out of the room, but what I'm saying is an atmosphere of faith does make a difference. And we can see that, that if Jesus was, was working to get an atmosphere of faith, then an atmosphere of faith is important for healing to flow. Okay, now, that's all we're going to cover on that. There was a lot more we could have gone into, like the centurion's servant. Jesus said he hadn't seen such great faith in all of Israel. And why? Because the centurion's servant said, you just say the word and my servant will be healed. And his servant was healed basically that very hour. He said, go, go your way. Let it be done to you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very hour. That's in Matthew chapter 8, uh, starting around verse 5, all, going all the way to 13. So in that we see the centurion coming for his servant that was sick. Let's go ahead and go there. Matthew chapter 8. Centurion comes to Jesus and he needs healing for his servant because his servant is at home lying paralyzed. And Jesus says that he'll come and heal him. But the centurion answers and says that he's not worthy for Jesus to even come under his roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. And he says, I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go and he goes and to another come and he comes and to my slave do this and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, truly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. And then verse 13, we see, and Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, let it be done to you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very hour. Again, what are we seeing? We're seeing the connection between faith and healing. Now, this is healing when somebody's receiving, but he said, let it be done to you as you have believed. So again, a connection with the faith and the healing. Okay, now we're going to stay on the topic of healing, but we're going to move to something different now. And I want to cover this for you because this is important, and it seems that 
a lot of Christians just seem to miss this. And we're going to look at healing and healing with communion. What happens with communion? What goes on with communion? And it's important for us to look at this. And if you want to, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And there are some things that I want you to see in this. And I'm going to go ahead and read this to you. And then we're going to talk about it. Verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. That's what we're going to talk about. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. That means die premature. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. All right, so I'm going to stop there. What I want us to see out of this is verse 29 and 30. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Uh, let me tell you what that means. That means two things. It means, number one, that you are to judge the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you're looking at his body, it's that by his stripes ye are healed. That with the body of Christ, with what happened to Christ, came healing for your benefit. So when you partake of communion, you are to be partaking of healing. A lot of times people take that little wafer or that little thing of bread. They don't really know what they're doing. And so we know that the blood or the grape juice that's represented or the wine, whatever that is represented there, is for the remission of sin. It's symbolic of the blood of Christ. But a lot of times people don't understand what the body of Christ did for us. And we are to take that. And it is not so much the symbols that we are to emphasize as much as what he said in these previous verses in verse 24 and 25. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we'll talk about what we're supposed to remember. But one of the things you're supposed to remember is that by his stripes, ye were healed. So it's not the blood, the wine is for the forgiveness of sins, but the bread is representing the body of Christ and it's representing healing to you. And every time you take communion, you are to remember and to discern and to judge rightly his body and partake of healing into your body. So now when you take communion, you'll have kind of a new reverence for that bread that you are partaking of the body of Christ and that there's, there's something there. You are to be partaking of healing. Now, that was number one, that by his stripes ye are healed. You are to, to judge right the body. It is the Lord's body, and it is also the body of believers. There's two bodies represented there. And in the body of believers, the thing that you are to judge is that you are walking in love. 
because you're to judge the body rightly. Are you walking in love with the body, the body of believers? Now, it says, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number die premature. Why? Because they weren't discerning the body. They weren't judging right the body. It's by his stripes you're healed, and it's the body of believers. It's walking in love with the body of believers to keep those areas judged and to bring yourself into remembrance of what that is for when you take communion. Romans 5.9 says that we are justified by his blood. We're justified by his blood, and by that blood we're saved. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says that we are redeemed with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So that is the cup of blood that we're, we're familiar with for the remission of sin, and it's the removal of sin. That's what that cup speaks of. And the body, by his wounds you were healed, 1 Peter 2.24. By his scourgings we are healed. Stripes, by his bruises. And we see that in Isaiah 53.5 also. The bread is symbolic of the removal of sickness. Bread is symbolic of healing. Now, let's go to Psalm 103. It says, to forget none of his benefits. Now we're talking about, remember he said, do this in remembrance of me? Like you're supposed to remember what it means. Remember what the body means. Remember what the bread means. Remember what the cup means. Remember what the blood means. In remembrance of me. Psalm 103, forget none of his benefits. And one of his benefits in Psalm 103 is that he heals all your diseases. Isn't that exciting? It doesn't say that he heals some of your diseases. It says he heals all of your diseases. Okay, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. And we could go on. But what we see in that, what are we to remember? He heals us, and we're not to forget that. That's one of the benefits. We're not to forget his benefits. He says, remember them. So every time you take communion and you take that bread or that wafer that's symbolic of the bread, which is symbolic of his body, you're to remember there's healing in that. And you're to judge that that is a symbol of his body, that by his stripes you're healed, and that you're to judge the body of Christ, how you're walking, that you're to be walking in love and judge yourself in accordance of walking with the body, that you're to be walking right with the body. Uh, blessed are they that hunger and thirst, they shall be satisfied. It's the remembrance of what Jesus did that's important here because the remembrance of what he did is what activates your faith. That's why he says, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, this is not something where you just sit there and you go through the motions because it's passed out. That, that's it. But it's a point of contact. It's a point of contact for you to release your faith for healing every time communion is, is served to you or every time you partake of communion. Point of contact for you to release your faith. And we can look at this in other areas. Communion is a point of contact to remember and release faith. But in James 5, when it talks about oil, to anoint with oil, it's not the oil that heals somebody. It's a point of contact for faith to be released. 
in baptism, it's not the water that baptizes somebody necessarily. It's the faith that's released by the action. It's not special water. We can do it in a swimming pool. It's not special oil. It can be cooking oil. But what's happening? We're using it as a point of contact to release our faith. And in salvation, when we're born again, the sickness is not necessarily gone because salvation, in salvation, we're partaking of the blood, which is the remission of sin. It's forgiveness, but it's not partaking of the body of Christ, which is for healing. Do you see that? So if somebody doesn't feel good, but they get saved, they don't necessarily get healed at the same time because they don't know that that can be part of it. They don't know that they've got the body with it, primarily because it's just not taught. What's taught is forgiveness of sins. But what's not taught is that healing goes with it. Salvation, that you're to be made whole. Nothing missing, nothing lacking. Okay, let's keep going on this. Proverbs 4.22, let's turn there. And then, you know, after tonight, we'll go back into the Gospels and we'll go into more of those healing accounts, okay? But I just need to get this... I need to get this to you so that you'll understand what's in communion. Don't you think it's important for you to understand what's in communion? Let's uh, go a little higher than that. Uh, Proverbs 4.20. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their whole body. That word health in Hebrew is medicine. So we can say his, God's medicine. God's medicine is healing. God's words are medicine. God's words are healing. In the Hebrew, that word health also means medicine. So his, basically what it's saying is that his words are health to you. His words are medicine to you. So we could say it this way. The Lord, who is your physician, prescribes to you the word of God. I am the Lord that healeth thee. That's in Exodus 15:26. Our bodies are to be living, sac living sacrifices. Our bodies are to be the temple of God. Our bodies are to be healthy and in good condition because it's a good testimony to the glory of God. It is a good testimony. They, his words are life to those that find him and health to all their flesh. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. So now let's switch and look more, more at this. I am the bread of life. Now we talked about healing is the children's bread, and we went into that in another class when we were teaching on healing. In Mark 7, 26, the Syrophoenician's daughter. And Jesus said, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And what was he talking about there? He was talking about healing. So do you see again here how we're connecting the bread with healing? And he's connecting the bread with manna. The bread, as he was calling himself bread, I am the bread of life in John 6, 27. I am the bread of life. Healing is the children's bread. And bread is used to represent his body in communion. So we see the connection here between the bread representing his body and representing healing. Let's look at Jesus as our Passover lamb. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, Clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. So we see Jesus referred to as the Passover there. And let's go ahead and turn to uh, Exodus. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 12 and then Psalm 105. And we touched on this a little bit, where before the um, children of Israel were leaving Egypt, 
when they were going to go out, before they were going to go out, they were told to sacrifice a lamb and put the blood over the lentil and over on the doorposts. And that was, they would be passed by, it was the pass over those houses so that the destroyer would not come in. What did the blood do? The blood protected them. And this, the blood that was slain of this lamb was symbolic of the blood of Christ that was slain later on the cross for us. That blood is a protection. That blood's for the remission of sin. That blood is a sign for the destroyer to pass by. So that blood that's been shed for you and me, we can speak that on ourselves spiritually, and we partake of that when we partake of communion, and what that is is for the destroyer to pass by, not to have a part with us. That blood protects us. Now let's go to Psalm 105, verses 34 to about 38. He spoke and locusts came, and young, young locusts, even without number, and ate up all the vegetation in their land, and ate up all the fruit of their ground. He also struck down the firstborn in their land, the firstfruits of all their vigor. Verse 37, Then he brought them out with silver and gold, and among his tribes, so there was no one feeble among them meaning apparently they were healthy. The old, the young, the whatever, they weren't feeble. And he brought them out so that they were not feeble. Not one of them was feeble. Can you imagine in that kind of a multitude and having none of them feeble? They'd applied the blood over them. They'd applied the blood and it says they came out and there was not one feeble among them. Okay, does everybody have a better understanding of the, the body in communion now? The body of Christ? Okay, I know that was a lot of content. That's a lot of flipping scriptures here and there, but does it piece it together for you so that you've got a good understanding, good strong scriptural base for that now? So when you take communion now, you're going to have a greater understanding of what that bread is representing, aren't you? Because I would guess that people have been taking communion and not realizing there's healing in it. But there was consequences for not judging it rightly and not, not discerning what was in there. So we're to judge and we're to discern. And we're to remember what he did for us. So remember what he did for you when you take of the cup. Remember what he did for you when you take of that bread. And that you're not forgetting his, the benefits that come with it, right? That he heals all your diseases. That's one of the benefits that goes with that. That you're to remember that when you take of the bread. Remember that when you take of the communion. What are the benefits? He says that you are to be in remembrance of me. Re remembrance of what he did because that's the point of contact it's anybody can go through the motions of doing something it doesn't necessarily benefit someone it benefits someone when they are in remembrance of what it is symbolic for and what they're doing it for what is the purpose what is the reason why are they doing it why are you doing it I'm doing this because this means something see and so even if you go back over some of those scriptures he heals all my diseases he cleanses me from all sin, as far as the east is from the west. My sins are removed, not covered, but removed from me. Removed from me. All diseases, all sicknesses are removed from me because I remember what he did for me. He heals all my diseases. You activate your faith. Amen.